The road to consciousness. We will figure out the biggest mystery in human history. How can we have such a rich internal subjective experience of life but not know from the physical workings of the brain how consciousness arises? We're going to do it with a method of putting things into two buckets. Knowledge, which is justified true belief from the epistemological sense. We have enough data or enough evidence that we can classify this as knowledge. And assumptions, we're just going to have to take a leap of faith and assume certain things where we have either competing theories or we don't know enough data to be 100% sure, but we're going to have to move forward. Otherwise, we will go around in circles in these types of problems. Today, I wanted to talk about idealism. Idealism, once you hear about it, it's very hard to wrap your, your mind around, but you kind of go, huh. It's one of those theories that is very interesting and it came about essentially in the 18th century, I believe, with the British imperialists. There were three famous imperialists who started the movement. John Locke was the first one. John Locke is one of my favorite philosophers. He, across the board, had some really good ideas around even society, how we see the world, obviously imperialism, he was the one that started the notion of a blank slate that when we are born we're essentially a blank slate and everything in the universe or everything i should say that we acquire in terms of knowledge is something that we learn through experience this is sort of a counter to the rationalist side of things which descartes started off there is a rational objective universe or you know rational in terms of there is some sort of truth out there under, under the hood, behind the curtain, the imperialists would say, what does it matter? We're only ever going to experience what we experience through experience, right? We're going to live life through experience. Therefore, we learn everything through that experience and we are a blank slate as we start. The next one that came along that built on top of that was David Hume. What he did, he also advocated that while we everything is based on our experience and everything that we learn is really in our minds and and heads um so is the fact of causation so causation really is all about cause and effect and a lot of science this is a key principle in physics everything that we can see is an effect of some sort of cause going back all the way to the big bang if you think about it the way that the scientific laws play out it's very specific and very uh, routine or i'm not sure what the right word is here but it's very mechanical and nothing happens by itself there's always a preceding cause to an effect you could do this yourself i can do this now i'm i'm recording this session i could trace that back to everything that i just did before that is a cause to this effect and before that and what happened yesterday and but back and back and back i could also go the other way that say that you know the atoms in this microphone came from the sun i mean i just jumped a whole big of how that happened but came from the sun and the sun came from other atoms that started uh, early on in the big bang with hydrogen and helium being predominant and still is in the universe and then the big bang obviously i jumped about a million steps but theoretically you could kick off since the universe kicked off at the big bang the laws of science played out and there was a cause and effect chain 
that basically ended with me here and you where you are. Now, David Hume put cause and effect as a concept in our minds, as idealism. It is something that we experience and it's in basically our heads. This is fascinating because theoretically, the empiricists are right. The only thing we can do is see the world through our consciousness and the only thing we can do is then conceptualize the um conceptualize those experiences we've talked a lot about experience being the foundation like every conscious experience is basically you but you are internalizing and conceptualizing that and giving it meaning as we talked about the stages of consciousness therefore your brain from a physical point of view is storing all of that conceptualization and all of the concepts you have are really in your mind to give you an example, even this table that I'm leaning on, we've talked about this table a lot, is a concept really. The concept of a table is something that you have learned to understand what that concept is. And when I say the word table, it's using my or our language, I should say, as an expression of that concept. And you can think of a table. Now, you might not think of exactly this table, but you understand the attributes of a table. You understand it most likely has four legs uh it's it's made of some kind of wood maybe um you know so you understand the concept of a table when i mention it but that's all something because of what you experienced and learnt in your in your early development when you came across different tables and you heard the word table and you experienced because you maybe sat on a table or you leant on a table or you sat behind a table or whatever that was this is your imperialism kicking in does a table exist in objective reality maybe but what does it matter you'll only ever be able to experience a table the way you have experienced a table and experience tables going forward now you have to understand the word table is just a, a concept of humans right the universe doesn't know what a table is the universe doesn't care what a table is um it cares about matter uh it cares about subatomic particles that combine into molecules that combine into you know making tables um, and the way that they, those molecules use the forces of nature and the forces of physics, that's what makes it a table. The shape of its rigidness is because the molecules are, are symmetrically essentially bound together. Um, and that's what make, gives it its rigid stress. That's what makes it a solid as opposed to a liquid or a gas. So going back to David Hume, this is super fascinating because if cause and effect really is only in our minds, then cause and effect isn't part of objective reality. It's not part of the physical world. And that's the part that maybe when you first hear about the empiricists and idealism, which we're getting to in a second, that things are really only in our minds because of the way that we experience the world. It's hard because, sorry, I should say we interact with what seems to be a physical reality. First of all, our bodies feel physical. Our, 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 everything around us feels physical. We're able to interact with things physically. But we also have to understand it's only because of our minds are engaged. If we didn't have minds and consciousness, I'm not sure we'd be able to physically experience the world the same way that we do. Uh, and it wouldn't matter because... The only way that we can is through our minds and our experience. And so cause and effect 
is something that we also learn just like we learn what a table is we learn cause and effect by what we observe and what we learn from science and physics we're, we're, we're these days obviously we're so connected and have so much information at hand and we're so far advanced although we've got a long way to go in terms of our understanding of the universe through science which you know in 250 300 years ago is really kick-started the scientific revolution once we learn that whether it is it doesn't have to be by pure observation now we can actually learn it through thought through um, language through reading and all of the things that give us this 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 data and evidence but what we're doing is really when i was learning about physics what i was doing is conceptualizing what they were saying and putting it in my mind as concepts so cause and effect is a concept really in my mind now whether i did the experiment myself or not i'm Every day I think everybody does a cause and effect. You are a cause and effect experience, but either way, it's in your mind. And so it's it's hinting towards physical reality not existing. This is the part it's hard to get our head around because, you know, day to day, obviously, we experience what seems to be a physical reality. Now, the next phase of this was uh, George Berkeley who came along and said, well, if we're questioning, let's say, cause and effect, and we're saying everything is through experience, and everything is in our minds, and this is where idealism came about. Everything is an idea. Everything is a concept. There is no physical reality. Um, we feel and experience physical reality. Sure, I mean, don't I don't think anyone can argue that you feel pain. I cannot coincidentally feel that pain for you. This is why it's an internal subjective experience. I cannot. See sense or feel your consciousness i cannot feel any of the feelings you have i can't feel your internal subjective experience so theoretically yes it's all internal to you in your mind um, but pain is an interesting one if you ask anybody they'll tell you yes pain exists but what is pain specifically there's neuroreceptors essentially throughout your whole body and and uh, at the level of uh, underneath your skin that they sense that kind of pressure, right? This, the, we, we sense, our, our, our receptors essentially sense heat, cold, and pressure. If that pressure in the neuroreceptors is enough, it's translated, there's a specific gateway, I forgot what it's called. If it reaches a certain threshold, then it's sensed, and obviously the, the neurons uh, in your uh, peripheral nervous system then carry that, depending on the region of, of, of the, the pressure, all the way up to your central nervous system. It then goes to your um, parietal lobe, where you have this soma to sensory uh, primary and association cortex. They're two separate regions. And that essentially has a mapping. Uh, it's called the homunculus. It's a mapping of your whole body. Now, it's, it doesn't look like a body as we know it and a brain and attached. It's actually grouped in different sections. It looks really, it looks really interesting. You look it up if you're, if you're interested. But essentially, let's say the face and the hands have the biggest portion of regions of nuclei mapping in a certain spot in that homunculus. That's why they're the most sensitive. So depending on the region where you felt that pressure enough, then that part or group of nuclei essentially is engaged. And so it's, we don't understand, obviously, the step function from there to pain, but it is the same. It's a set of neurons that fire, that, uh, neurotransmitters that fire all together and that collectively then somehow gives you that feeling that you have of pain. So how do you know it's not all in your mind? If your mind wasn't there to interpret the pain, what would it be? It wouldn't be anything. It would be a group of, of neurons firing. 
right? So really your mind is giving you that experience. Now, obviously this goes back to the big question that we're trying to solve is like, how does that experience happen? And is it in our minds or is it really physical? But I think this idealism questions this key point. What if it's all in our minds? What if the entire physical reality we have is all something in our minds? The, the discussion point around this is how can we all then see the same thing collectively? There seems to be an agreement at least. If you ask most people, uh, they would say that they can see the world in a certain way and even uh, you know pointing to science and physics that we understand that the world and if I look in a telescope and you look in a telescope and you'll see a similar thing out there when I look in a certain direction or where it is if we're you know in the same spatial region, we'll see the same thing. But the counter argument to that is that our brains are 99.995 or 99.95% similar. Um, we have evolved to have brains to see the universe in a very, like our brains at a physical level and our, our visual cortex, uh, auditory senses, uh, our smell, even our taste. Like I know we feel like it's so much different because our experience is really different. But at a fundamental level, it's almost exactly the same given uh, the, the physical working of the brain. So we naturally would see the world in the same way. We would experience the world in the same way because of that uh, commonality we have physically within the brain and, and even our bodies, right? I mean, we all, we all look different, but it's a very small portion of our DNA that's actually different. So it's... so. You could argue that, yes, of course, we would experience and learn things exactly the same way, but how do we know that it actually existed? And this is where idealism and George Berkeley was a proponent of that. Now, well, one, of the, one of the interesting bits of this was people who were uh, discussing this were like, well, are you saying that the reality, if you close your eyes, that it doesn't exist? And this is almost exactly the, uh, if a tree falls in the woods and nobody's around, doesn't make a sound, is that... Like if you don't hear it, does that mean that didn't happen? Like the tree didn't fall or the sound? Or if you close your eyes, are you saying that things around you then it just doesn't exist? That seems pretty far-fetched. <laughs> Basically saying all of space and all of material things just don't exist. Only when you open your eyes, they're there. Um, but it could be. <laughs> If we went around to observe the universe, it wouldn't exist, basically. Uh, and I think George Berkeley refuted this by also adding an element of God. Now, I assume it's a divine God he was talking about, but for God, I think well, the universe exists how it is. It's just that we wouldn't, you know, like when we close our eyes, it doesn't exist for us sort of a thing. So it's always interesting to think about. Um, having said that, since we talked about the physical workings of the brain being similar, what happens if we go back to the evolutionary chain or through the evolutionary chain, I should say, where the brains are developed in the same way and that, you know, most, a lot of animals don't have the neocortex in the same way we do. It's not folded up. It's obviously nowhere as big. It doesn't have all of the same uh, gray matter that we do. Does that mean they see the universe differently? I would say yes. If it's all in the, in our heads, then in some shape or form, it's in a, a mouse, for instance, who has about 100 million neurons. And, you know, uh, would that see the world differently? Yes. We would have to say yes, especially if idealism is the way that we're, we're going here. And maybe they don't experience cause and effect the same way. Um, I think it's very interesting. Without time, though, cause and effect doesn't exist. You can't have cause and the whole premise of cause and effect is that something is, is, is moving ahead in the direction of time. 
there is a change there is a change happening but change can only happen when you have time otherwise it's just one fixed point you can't move to the next point without time so I think naturally you'd have to start the question whether time is all in our heads as well. If we're saying that everything material and physical is in our heads, then what about time? Uh, what is that? And actually, I don't not subscribe to this. I just use a double negative. But time is one of those concepts that we know it's relative because of special relativity. Um, so there goes absolute time. And even though our brains are wired very similar, we experience time in the same way. It's really an experience. It's not... I know we like to think of it in a, in a more quantifiable way where like we understand what one o'clock is and then we understand that two o'clock is after one o'clock and we understand what tomorrow is or yesterday. But really what what is happening is we're experiencing the now and it's the same as experiencing a conscious experience. I keep using the word experience, but that's what it is. Time is also an experience we have. It is embedded in us uh it's just a part of us you can't easily like detach it from that experience and this is also why we don't understand which region of the brain time generates itself we don't know there is no one region that like there's no clock in your head you have a biological sense of repetitive patterns like your heartbeat and you have that sort of a thing but you don't have a concept of actual time somewhere physically in the brain that has a clock you've got your circadian rhythm and you've got your uh, hypothalamus that takes care of kind of uh knowing when you know you sleep and things like that again it's a rhythm and it's a pattern it doesn't necessarily you can't induce time from that time is a a a concept that we humans have emerged out of the fundamental workings of the universe Um, there is a second law of entropy which basically states that everything will always increase or energy always increases which means essentially there's more configuration states that the universe always has and it always moves forward which gives us this concept of directional arrow of time but i do believe it's really very linked to us our brain and our, and even our consciousness i think consciousness and time go hand in hand almost without one or the other it's, it's it doesn't exist and it is really an experience so anyway getting back to that um the empirists have and i know it's been discussed a lot in the last 200 centuries that's idealism though Um, i wouldn't rule it completely out do i believe in idealism in a lot of ways i do um i do believe there is an objective reality but i don't think it looks anything like we perceive or believe or experience it now uh i would call it much more of an energy soup (laughs) I think there's energy slushing around and what's happened is we are able to, given where we are in our world in the macro scale, where our brains are, where our minds are, where our consciousness are, we see the world as we see it. Um, That's one way I definitely believe in, but I'm not going to jump and say that that is all I believe in. (laughs) Uh, there is an objective reality out there. I'm not sure we've got a very good handle on what that is. I think quantum mechanics throws massive spanners in the works. I mean, people have questioned time. People have questioned space. And while it's really hard to get our, our heads around this, if you go deep in the physics, the data points to the fact that space might not even exist. We know time doesn't really exist at the quantum level. Uh, or anything that moves at the speed of light, which is... Uh, Um, constant of the universe nothing can go faster than light 
but it's because nothing can break that energy barrier there's a certain energy limit that once you put in you only hit that and if you look at things like black holes where time doesn't exist or uh, things like that then you start and even at the quantum mechanics level uh, i believe you know time symmetry was broken and all of that stuff so there's definitely data that questions all of this um whether I believe it, uh, again, I, I, I know what I just mentioned, and I think that was one of my early theories. <laughs> I'm yet to revise a lot of that, uh, but I don't subscribe wholeheartedly to idealism. My assumption is that it is not 100% all in our heads, but where in terms of the physical world being exactly what it is today, I don't believe that that's there. Either. My assumption is it's somewhere in the middle, I was leaning more towards the, I guess, idealist side, but I think I'm taking a step back from that lately. That theory that I just mentioned about energy soup is about a year or two old. <laughs> and I think I've changed a lot in a year or two. So yeah, idealism. Think about it. Look it up if you're interested. It is super fascinating.